Thank you, Lord, for the precious call that you have given us, the precious mandate that you have given us to communicate the good news to everyone. And as your word says, beginning with the Jew first and also with the Gentile. And Lord, thank you that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we pray that you would stir us um, and uh, fill us, Lord God, with your Ruach, your spirit, for this very important task. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that you would equip us and send us forth, Lord God. Bring people across our path. Bless us, Lord God, with the needed divine appointments. And receive much honor and glory as you're... <coughs> As we are taught, Lord God, how to stretch forth and share the good news. We thank you for all things. We pray for uh, the anointing of your spirit for Rabbi David as he teaches us. And we ask, Lord, that your will would be done tonight. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay. As Chaim said, you know, um, there is a particular... There are some differences in terms of sharing Yeshua with the Jewish people. And as Judy, Judy talked about last week, there are some, you know, some misconceptions that tie into that, but also tie into the, the general populace as well. You remember some of the things she said about you know, the, the assumption that Jewish people know their Bible inside and out and so forth, and how that's probably not necessarily the case. So in, in a lot of ways... Um, yes, we're answering Jewish objections to Yeshua, answering Jewish objections to Jesus. And in a lot of ways, though, uh, and I'll talk about this depending on where along the spectrum uh, we're talking to a Jewish person or anyone, really. We're answering objections to faith, to the Bible, to God, this kind of stuff as well. So in general, this whole topic um, is an area, and some of this may be reviewed. I'm just going to kind of try to start at the basics. But this is uh, an area called apologetics. Does anybody not know what apologetics means? Uh, I mentioned that one time to a guy at work in Maryland, and he kind of laughed. He thought, apologize, because it sounds like he didn't know what that was, apologizing or something. Has anyone not heard this term before? This is on audio. We can't tell who's raising their hand. Does anybody, anybody not? Everybody knows what apologetics is about? Glenn. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. And you look very clean, shaven there. I just didn't recognize you in the back. Um, if you have your Bible, why don't you open to... Um, 1 Peter 3, 15. Okay. 1 Peter 3, 15. And, uh, see if anyone stopped flipping yet. Mr. Gonzalez, he's got the electronic version. He must have it already, right? Why don't you read it? 1 Peter 3, 15. Oh, Oh, almost there. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your heart. I'm sorry, Second Peter. Peter. Second Peter. Okay. <laughs> it must be. It must be. Maybe I'm wrong. Hold on, Paul. You may have been wrong. It is First Peter. Peter. It started off a little different than I thought. I'm sorry. Back to First Peter. Just throwing your phone. Oh, no. <laughs> all those pages you have. All those pages you have to thank you. Yeah. Look at that. Didn't. Okay, good. First Peter three. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts, 
Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with humility and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that whatever you are accused of, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Messiah may be put to shame. So it's that first part. So the first part that, that, that he read, um, be ready to give an answer. Your translation might have a little something different. Does anyone else give a what? Anyone else have anything different than an answer? Be ready to give a what? Anyone? Reason. Reason? Okay. That was in your mind. You don't even have a Bible in front of you. Reasoned answer. <laughs> a reasoned answer. Anything there that's, that you've got is, is a translation of this, this Greek word. So this is for Dr. Hecht. I see that. What does that say? Apologia. So that's where the word apologetics comes from. It's this idea of a defense or an answer. It's not an apology. Maybe, maybe our word somehow did derive from that, but this is the original, the original idea of giving a reasoned answer or a defense for the faith. So we're looking at a specific area of, quote, Jewish apologetics, and I'll talk about one of the premier, um, kind of, I believe, authors in this area, um, at least modern, modern one. But this is a big area of apologetics, being able to give a defense for your faith. A wit we often sometimes call this witness. Now, I want to start here. Let me ask you a question. So since we all are, for, except for Glenn, that's what apologetics is, Glenn, giving an answer or a defense for, for your beliefs, okay? Um, why would we do this before we want to, you know, we're going to launch in and tell me how to answer the question about, you know, the Trinity. Well, hold on a second. Let's, stop. Let's back up just a moment. Um, why do we even, why would we... Besides the fact that scripture tells us to do that, what are some maybe practical reasons why we would even engage in apologetics, giving a, a reasoned answer, defense for our faith? Who can, who would like to take a stab at that, knowing that it will probably be wrong? Refute, <laughs> refute the lies. Refute the lies. Okay, so for refutation of lies. Okay. Anyone else? A shout out if you'd like. Correction. Yeah. Correction. Any other reasons you think for, for, you know, for people have a testimony of what Yeshua has done in, in their life? So being able to give a, give that testimony, okay. Um, yeah. Refutation of lies. We want to go to give a defense for our faith, for correction, yeah. testimony. Um, we have to have a reason why we believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, I don't want to brag or anything, but this question was asked by me of Dr. Michael Brown in, in class. I asked the class, and the answer I gave, he actually built up. He said, that's the actual answer he was looking for, which which maybe you thought of, but I think it's very important for us to realize that these are all these are all fine reasons. I do believe they are. But I want to make sure we realize that we're <laughs> we do it for ourselves. Yes. That's a big, big important reason. We want to do it. We want to study apologetics or reasons for, you know, looking at objections to the faith, whether they be Jewish objections or not Jewish objections. And we want to do it for ourselves. Okay? Um, uh, Michael Brown talked about this in his testimony that initially, you know, when he when he went to talk to to, to rabbis because he, he became a believer, he's got this whole story about 
you know, how he was, uh, you know, this Jewish kid, and he was into drugs and rock and roll, and he's, he, he gave his, actually, there was just a video today, I think I saw it on Facebook, he just finished his video, his I Met Messiah, have you seen the I Met Messiah videos that Chosen People's put out, they got the, the funky chair, everyone's sitting in, it's yeah. all kind of cool, he's got one out today, and I was just watching it, and he, he gives his, his testimony in there, and, and talks about being a rock drummer, and all this kind of stuff, and when he came to, to, to know Yeshua, um, you know, his father said, oh, praise the Lord, kind of just in a joking way, thinking, wonderful, I'm glad you're off drugs now, but you need to come back, you need to, you're a Jew, you need to come back to Judaism, so you need to go talk to the rabbi. And so Michael, that's where he started off, and he started realizing that he didn't have answers, that he was being sort of thrown by these things that the rabbi said, oh, you don't know Hebrew, you don't know this, this interpretation of the scripture and all these kind of things. So his, his starting off point was for, for him to, to come up you know, with, with answers for himself, and that when he engages in these public debates, which none of us are probably going to be uh, in the public debates, I know some people debated in high school, I'm looking at one guy laughing at the front row, Mr. Lang, uh, but most of us aren't debating in a public venue, but that the, the truth is in those public debates, it's, it's for the debater, but also for the people in the audience to, to hear the position as well, because um, that's very important that we do this for ourselves, and then, and then of course, for others. But that is a big reason why we would do apologetics. Now, I can tell you, and I'm not saying this is the motivation for, for anyone in here, um, but from a Jewish mindset, okay, and when I say that, just like we can't say Judaism says this or Christianity says this, I'm, I am talking from myself, my own perspective. Um, someone talking to me back in the day about faith in God and Jesus and that kind of thing, I feel uh, that there's actually kind of an attack coming on us. That almost that apologetics are being done by this person for a notch in their belt, if you will. Yeah. You know, uh, me and a buddy of mine, I got a, I've got a Jewish friend up in Maryland who, who's a believer as well now, but we both were kind of struggling at the same time in college, and he, he would joke about, you know, um, if you go to church, you know, like it's 10 extra points if you get a Jew to come, <laughs> come to church with you that day. We kind of felt like there's a target on us in a sense, you know. Exactly. And a lot of that is, is historical, and I will mention some of that. Um, but but that, that could be a reason that you realize you, you have these reasons in mind for yourself or for de defending against you know error or, or what it might be. But the truth is, the Jewish person might very well feel that you're looking at them as a trophy, as a 10 extra points, and as, as a, a notch in their belt, so to speak. So it's important for us to, uh, to understand kind of a reason why we're initially uh, doing apologetics. Okay? Um, a couple essential things, I think, for, for even before we in, embark on this endeavor. Number one, the number one thing, there's two, two big reasons that uh, I think is very important that we keep in mind when we're, when we're talking about giving a defense for the faith. And number one is that when there's an objection, this is basic listening skills, quite honestly, is, um, is making sure that number one, we rightly understand what the objection is. Because quite often you may not really rightly understand what the objection is, what someone's saying. What is their real issue? Because it might just be the tip of the iceberg you're looking at. There might be a lot more below the surface. And so we want to, number one, make sure that we rightly understand the objection. And one way to do that is, again, just like as if we're listening, is to restate the objection and make sure the person understands. So what you're saying is you, you, you can believe in a Messiah but not God. Or you can believe, are you saying that you don't have a problem with, with, with Yeshua, Jesus being the Messiah? But what you're saying is you don't, you don't see why we're supposed to worship him. Is that what you're saying? Or whatever it might be. That was actually an objection I had recently 
from a gentleman that, that I mentioned in dialogue with Wayne Maddox. You know, he, he got down to it. He said, well, fine, I'll, I'll give you Jesus. He's great. He's a rabbi, this, that, and the other. And, and, and even if he's Messiah, wonderful. But where does, the, where does the Torah say we're supposed to worship him? Okay, well, now, you know, I rightly understand the objection. It's not, you know, because you can say, don't believe in Jesus. Well, it's not that I don't believe in Jesus. It's, it's a more, a more of a fine point on it than that. So number one is making sure that you rightly understand the objection. And the second part is, uh, and this is, this is something that, that Michael Brown actually focuses a lot on, and I think we probably don't give this enough, um, enough attention. And he says that you not only need to understand, I'll write these down just for visual help here. Number one is understand the objection, okay? Number two, you may have heard me say this before in, in a sermon, is to feel the weight of the objection that someone has. Feel the, what do I mean by that? Feel the weight of the objection. Um, you need to be grounded in the objection enough to really feel like what would it mean to this person if somehow I was to overturn, you know, their objection, if you will, you know, because we get that competitive spirit. I want to show them and I want to take this big, you know, suitcase full of messianic prophecies and dump them. I've had people give me literally like, you know, eight or ten pages of 397 or however many messianic prophecies as if I'm going to, you know, as if I'm really going to look, read this thing, quite honestly. Um, before we even realize, what would it be if, if all of a sudden this person then did? I mean, and again, there's some real things here with regard to repercussions from family, repercussions of, of, of entire, you know, lifetime of belief system. Um, but that is really key, and I think, it's, I think it is overlooked. I think, I think uh, Michael Brown is right when he says that we overlooked that one. And Yes, ma'am. For example, the example Michael gives is, you know, do you really know how an atheist feels? You know, Michael Brown was very clear. He said, you know, I really don't know how. And I tried and I tried and I tried. Try to put my, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, basically, is what I'm saying. So to really understand, yeah, and specifically with a Jewish person, for us it's simple. Here's the Messianic prophecies. Here's all 387 of them. And here's, here's the reasons why, you know, Trinity can be a Jewish concept. And here's the whole reason why incarnation is not just some Christian idea. And it's right there in the Tanakh. Then don't you get it? But yet not under, not realizing that if, that who this person is, who their family is, what would what would be the ramifications for them if they were to accept that accept that belief? Would that also then? How would that affect what you share with them? I think I think it affects. I mean, I think you know people say you don't they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think I think people just kind of sense that, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it goes back to the notch in the belt kind of thing. Someone just wants to argue me down all day versus realizing. Really, really thinking about what it means for this, you know, for a Jewish person to make to, to and I haven't got in, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but there's a thought that if I believe in Yeshua, I'm stepping on the graves of my grandmother and my grandfather and all these kind of things, so things like that. So I think it makes a difference in how you're going to, I understand how this really could be a difficult thing for you, whatever it might be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I saw, I think I saw Sue's, but let me, uh, go ahead. Yes, yeah, Sue? I was just wondering if this is related to the idea that people coming to faith not just a matter of them intellectually understanding. Did you read my notes? Did you read my notes? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't right. Okay. You're right, not intellectual. But, but when you feel the way it gets that kind of what's behind it, what's keeping them volitionally 
or emotionally from, even if they understand it clearly. Yeah, th those of you who were in the outreach meeting this past week, I don't know if you meant you heard Bill Hansberger, he, he had mentioned this particular, you know, he said when you're at the People's Fair, there are, there are folks there that there's this idea that we're all gods, God's in everybody and so forth. And so he says, well, look, does that mean that, that Hitler then, he was both God and the persecuted? I mean, he's both. And, and he said, he said, that's, he said only in his whole, all his 20 years, however long he's been doing this, he said two people swallowed the Hitler pill is what he said. So in a sense, uh, that was, you reminded me of that in, in a way that there is, there, that's the intellectual, you know, the intellectual piece. He said they just kind of realized that that didn't make a lot of sense, but there was obviously a lot of emotion. There's things that are keeping them. There's something else, because intellectually that didn't make much sense, but they just obviously were just dug in, in a sense. So, Diane, do you have a question or something? Well, I was just thinking maybe that's why it's so important to have a relationship with somebody and not be, you know, pounding them on the head with you should believe kind of ideas. The other thing that I wanted to share that's really, I, I, I could just see people were beside themselves. I went to um, uh, the Jewish per, the Jewish walk or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it last Sunday and I went to the Jewish genealogy and my French teacher was there. Mm -hmm. She is, she doesn't know what to do with the Latinos when they come up to her and say I'm a Kohenine but I believe in Jesus and mm -hmm. she just flips out. She just, and, and what she's saying, you know, is if you really want to be, if you really want to adhere to your Jewishness, Diane, mm -hmm. then this is how far you'll go. I know somebody who took it all the way back to Spain mm -hmm. and she went and found her maternal ancestor just to show how much she wanted to be Jewish. And I'm just like, whoa, okay, so this is, mm -hmm. there's no heart in it. There's statistics in that. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned a thing that's really, it's critical, but like, for example, at, at, at the People's Fair, if you also what, what Mr. Hunsberger said is, you know, ideally you get a conversation that you then, you know, have a relationship that builds after that. Because the, the truth of the matter is you might be the one that's harvesting, let's say, at that moment that there's been a seed planted and watered and so forth. But in a, in a two-second conversation, we need to have short answers. We definitely need to have some, some answers. And I'll talk about a little bit of that here before we get done. Don't worry. But... Uh, you have to have those kind of short answers, but the reality is beyond that, the relationships are the ones that are that are very important. Um, I mean, I, I have, like I said, I have a relationship. Most of you know my friend Joe, who comes here, and we have a relationship. And now there's, there's, believe me, there's no offense that I can really make to him at this point because we're friends. The point is, we can talk about anything. That wasn't the case when we first, you know, met in the library. I mean, I, that could have been it. In fact, there were some other people. That was the word that day, kind of the notch in the belt word. It was funny to me because there's a Jew in the library. This was the this was the, this was the word I got when I went in to study one day. There was a Jew. I'm thinking, yeah, I just got here, you know. But no, there was a real Jew. Oh, real Jew. Okay, there was a real there was a real Jew in the library. There was an Orthodox Jew in the library. That was the word, the hush hush word. And so, uh, how did they know? Oh, big head. Oh, yeah, yeah, big head. Exactly. It was it was the horns, right? I'm not a real Jew. Yeah, but it was the. Uh, it, that was kind of the, that was kind of the thing. So you know, and, and the truth is, a couple of those people, he wouldn't give the time of day to. It took several years to kind of mend one particular relationship with one of the guys, one of the students there. I'm not blaming that guy, but the point is, I, I didn't go there with it. Yeah. He came at me with it. I wasn't. I didn't like hide what I was or what I was there doing and studying. But I didn't say, "Let me show you Isaiah 53 right now" or something like that. And we became friends, and we're like legitimately friends. And, uh, and so we can talk about anything now. But again, you're not going to get that opportunity 
with every single person. Uh, two minute. You might you might be ready for some of the some of the two minute some of the two minute conversations. Excuse me. Yes, ma'am. talking about, you're talking again, an almost basic people skill kind of stuff. You're talking about needs. You're talking about, you know, why is someone a great salesman when he can sell ice to the Eskimo? Because you know, Eskimo has no need for ice, right? Um, and so it's the same kind of idea. Um, and, and I've mentioned it before, and then I'll talk to you. I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be a need, absolutely. And I think that's a big purpose of, of a reason why, you know, Messianic congregations exist, should exist. People want to, you take a survey of that. Rabbi Chaim does it at the beginning of his uh, intro to Messianic Judaism class. I'm sure he sees lots of interesting, interesting answers. Um, and I think one of the big reasons is not so much to 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 you know, zap people out of the you know, out of the outer court, so to speak, and bring them in. But the truth is that when a, when a Jewish person needs a place to go, or when they they do they are seeking this, they've got a place that that, that exists. And so a lot of it is a matter of a matter of need. It's not a matter of like you said. Why? What Mary said here about you know my life's going fine. It's not just Jewish people saying, I mean, I've got a whole family uh, of non-believing Jewish people that believe they're doing fine, very fine. I mean, I'm, I'm like the, the blue-collar, low-class, low you know, <laughs> non, non Now I have a master's degree. That's wonderful. But, I mean, they all have, they're all doc, I mean, doctors and podiatrists and chiropractors and all this kind of stuff. They think they're doing fine, you know. Um, and there's a lot of humanist views. And I'm going to get into some of the thought processes of the spectrum of, of Jews and so forth. Real quick, Dan, did you have something? Okay. No. So, um, just a little bit of my experience, um, again, among, uh, um, Judy mentioned it last week when she was talking about the, the ultra-Orthodox, the Jews that really know their stuff, and they know the, you know, you know you're, you're not going to necessarily get a lot of the, the Talmud and stuff taught here at Yeshua Sion, but you're going to run across people. She's you're probably not going to run across a lot of those people, and she's, she's right. Um, among religious Jews, know, those that, that know the scripture and tradition, I will say that if you may run into folks like that. Their, their standards are extremely high in terms of you need to show me beyond a shadow of a doubt that X, Y, and Z is the case. You know, why is it and you will, as Chaim says, smoke your brain. Uh, and some of the things, Michael Brown gets into those arguments. If you want to read about them, you can read about them. Um, but you definitely will, will smoke your brain on those kind of things. Um, and the reality is that that, that that kind of mindset, most likely, is coming in with their mind made up already. Um, and we're not into the heart-changing business. Greg? Um, I'm sorry. I, you, you, my mind's just racing. I, <laughs> I had the opportunity to witness to three very angry Muslims in, in London in a corner store. Um, God put me in that situation. I was in a bad mood. I was tired. I didn't want to be there. I was trying to hurry to get out. And he said, shut up, listen. And just so what you do, what I found was, I didn't try to win an argument with those three. What I tried to do was just say, you know, there's some questions that I had, and they were answered by Jesus. Mm -hmm. And what if the answers that you don't tell me that you have, but you have in the darks of your of your mm -hmm. mind at night or 
don't you owe it to yourself to pursue maybe finding out those answers? Because you tell me that you're a good Muslim. Mm. I, 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 re I revered that. That's mm. a, you know, you have a high standard for your religion. Mm. But I said, but what about someone that died? Has anyone died for you lately? Which you've read about. <laughs> and that's all I left. I did try to win an argument because there was no winning. I was not sure. gonna, it was not gonna happen. Yeah. But it's the witness in the courtroom. You can't argue with a person that stands before you in the courtroom and just says, I'm not the judge, I'm not the jury, I'm not the prosecuting attorney, I'm not the defense attorney. I'm just a witness telling you what happened to me. Right. And you walk away and you let those seeds fall. Yeah. And that's all we'll have time for for the for the audience, the fourth and fifth. Yeah. We're not going to have time for a no. long-term relationship. The court analogy is actually good because, again, we talked about beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's not even what we're required to prove in law. It's beyond, beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, what's a reasonable doubt? And that's honestly where we, if we're honest with ourselves, we look at our different doctrines and our different things, whether it's the Trinity or the deity of Yeshua. We come up with a, with a position based on beyond, you know, a reasonable doubt. Meaning, is there some mysteries and things we don't know? You better say yes. I mean, the truth is, yeah, of course, because we're not omniscient. And we're making, we're making a case beyond a reasonable doubt. Yes, Diane. Well, I mean, two things are coming up to my mind. In, isn't it talk about um, people, basically, I'm really paraphrasing this, but people will um, come, come to know the Lord by, by, by their uh, testimony, right? I mean, I think testimonies can be one of the strongest things. The other thing is, doesn't God tell us, we're not doing anything with this. It's God doing all the work. We're just like kind of like reaching out a hand, because he says he chooses us from the beginning of time, doesn't he? So let's figure out the chosen or not chosen debate. We'd like to figure, figure that one out right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, that's right. I mean, the, uh, I mean I, I'll, I'm going to defer to the yes and no answer that our esteemed rabbi gives us, because yes, of course. No, of course not. I mean, we look at 1 Peter 3.15 to begin with. We're, we're told there, at least, to give it, be ready to give a defense. Well, why are we going to give a defense if it's not up to us at all? Of course there's some, there's some things that, I mean, this is, maybe we'll figure out where I stand on the chosen, not chosen debate, that we, we, we have a part to play. I believe we have a part to play for sure. But my, my point in, in some of this is to say that, yeah, we're not changing hearts. We're not creating a need that someone has. We're not, we're not, you know, we, we, can, we can talk about provoking to jealousy and all that. Ultimately, God does what we would call the, the heavy lifting, for sure. Um, and I'm sure if we went around this room and, and took the next few days to get through everyone's testimony, we'd hear stories of that, for sure. That uh, my, my guess is, when it comes to apologies, anybody, you know, has it been an intellectual, mental, as, as, as Sue said, a mental assent to some factual evidence you've been given? I mean, has that been the one and only factor in your coming to the, 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 the beliefs that you have? Maybe it is. Probably not. My guess is that could have played a part in it. And that's why we, we talk about these things. That's why I'm going to encourage you to, to do your homework and study and these kind of things because that's definitely part of it. But that's most likely not the you're walking along one day, as Mary said, with not a care in the world and someone gave you some evidence that uh, evolution is not necessarily what you thought it was. And, oh, and you believe. That's probably not it. That's going to maybe be one of the seeds, one of the steps along the way, but it's not going to be the absolute thing. Um, Circle back just for a minute, if you can hold. Not to go backwards, sure. but under feel the weight. Yeah. Is there benefit to asking kindly? I can see that this is very important to you. What would it mean in your life if you did make a change? I mean, does that have any benefit? You know, I would I would think it depends who you're talking to. 
There's a gentleman I met recently that I was, I was just talking about the ultra-Orthodox side of things. I met a gentleman on the other side who's, who's not terribly liberal, but he knows the Torah, he knows Scripture okay, um, definitely a cultural Jew. And for him, uh, he's, he's this L.A. Jew, really gregarious, and after one meeting, I can ask him a question like that. Someone else might be offended, but right. you know, not want to share something personal. Sure. That guy I can ask. I think it would be beneficial for sure. So in a long-term relationship, that would be. I think so, or if you're with somebody that's got their heart on their sleeve, like, like this guy that I met, he would, yeah. he'd, he'd tell me that if I asked him, after yeah. talked to him for an hour, I know. Um, I think it's a good, it's absolutely a good question, because they may not have thought about it. Because most people, you know, a lot of times, if you've been angry before, and you're trying to figure out, maybe you're not as logical, like I, I kind of think logically, so even if I'm angry, I'm thinking, now, why am I angry? And I actually start trying to pinpoint, and I can come up with it. Not everyone can, necessarily. It's easier just can. to be angry and then worry about That's it. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 spoke at a, at a Chavara for a reform synagogue about a year ago, maybe. And I remember one of the questions, it was it's kind of the question we gave testimonies, and then it was question and answer time. And it was kind of funny. I remember, you know, if you remember, one of the questions was, this guy, it was an honest question. He's like, so how do you deal with the whole, you know, uh, Mary and the Immaculate Conception and that kind of stuff? As if, as if that was, was us, really. I mean, of course, Immaculate Conception, we don't call it that, virgin birth, we can talk about it. But it was interesting. That was kind of the label that, well, you're, you know, because you're not Jewish, you're Christian, everybody's a sin. And so obviously, you're, whether you're evangelical, charismatic, whatever, you must believe in Mary and the Immaculate Conception and yeah. concept and so forth. Yeah. So there was certainly a label that, that was put on us. Um, I, I want So in terms of, again, in terms of, of, of religious Jews or those in know Scripture, you might have some fun conversations because most of us are rooted in Scripture, okay? Um, among non-Jews that aren't necessarily that way, and this, and this I believe, is, is the majority... And it's, I think it's part of our, our mission statement, if you will, Yeshua Tzion. We talk about reaching the unaffiliated. These are the unaffiliated um, Jewish people. Is that you're going to have, these are, these are folks that are open to things, but that scripture is not going to have the kind of leverage that you would like it to have. So your, your eight-page messianic prophecy, you know, flyer document is just not going to, What's that? Turn them off. Turn them off? It's going to be like, what is that? It's not even turn off as much. I mean, people brought up scripture to me back in the early days. Like, what about this scripture? What about, honestly, I remember being at a Bible study one time. Someone invited me to. I wasn't a believer, and they were talking about the Tanakh. You might think it's funny. I didn't know. It sounded Jewish to me. But I didn't know. I didn't know what in the world. I didn't know what a Tanakh was. Okay? Tanakh. I mean, Tanakh. Yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah, the Tanakh, the Tanakh. I'm thinking... Tanakh. She said, so it must be Jewish. But I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what a Tanakh was. Tanakh should be open to you. Tanakh, right. Tanakh should be open. The door should be open. <laughs> so, so there is where we kind of get into what I think is the, is the, the lion's share of, of objections. And that are, that's the cultural and historical objections. Whether they, have, you know, whether they are, are really well formed in someone's mind or whether they're just passed down to generations like tradition, uh, which, again, I, I know the, the things that I sort of came up believing. I don't remember anyone ever telling me them, but you just kind of know. You know what I mean? You just kind of know. And that, I think, is a lot, is kind of, that, that's very also similar to the, to the culture at large. But there are Jewish-specific things within there, um, whether it's a mixed marriage and so forth. I mean, I, I have cousins that 
went to Hebrew day school, got bar mitzvahed, and, and that's it. But when it came time to get married, they go on J-date. If you don't know what J-date is, that's when you find a Jewish spouse on J-date. So that's where they, you know. Uh, so uh, I have one relative now beyond myself that did not marry a Jewish girl, so that was very, very earth or whatever, groundbreaking recently. But the truth is they're, they're very rooted in, in culture, and it's hard to put a finger uh, on what the real issue is. And that's why I say these are kind of the, the things we really need to focus on, because we're assuming that people just don't know the Messianic prophecies. Some people don't know what prophecy means. They, don't, they couldn't tell you a prophetic book in the Tanakh if, like as kind of said, if it bit you. And you've got to realize that this is, this, is, uh, this is really where a lot of us are going to spend our time talking to, to Jewish people, let alone non-Jewish people. And that's where it's really a matter of God... Uh, changing people's hearts. So historically, you may not think about it this way, but you know the, the New Testament, um, Chaim teaches this in class, people think the New Testament is a very anti-Semitic book. Now, have they read it? No. Not necessarily. Now, my friend Joe has read the New Testament in Greek. He can translate it on the fly in Greek in front of us. And those references better than I'd say a good number of people in here. However, what he sees in the New Testament is history. Look at what has been done in the name of this book over the centuries. Immediately your mind, what, 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 what? Okay, okay. But listen, he's saying there's got to be something flawed with this document. There's got to be something. It's hard. It hurts me when I hear that. You know, it hurts me when I hear that. But I can't say, oh, no, it's just, they're all wrong. The truth is there's, there's been some horrible things done in the name of Yeshua, in the name of the New Testament. And that's, that is how many Jewish people, I remember my uncle years ago said something about uh, the book of Revelation, someone came and gave a, a talk on something in Revelation about Israel or something uh, in, his, in his synagogue, and, and he said, yeah, of course, all the Jews are going to be dead in the end, or some kind of thing that now I realize, I don't really say that in Revelation, but that doesn't matter. He didn't have to read Revelation. That's just what he perceives it to be. Um, so, uh, you know, again, American Jewish identity is a very interesting thing. There are a few <laughs> items um, that seem to be fairly universal in their acceptance and again, speaking for this American Jew, um, they seem to be very, uh, very accepted among American Jews who even have a modest level of Jewish upbringing. Okay, uh, and that can be that can vary quite a bit. But among those general understandings, okay, this is for you that may not realize this. Among the, the general understandings that many of these Jews would would agree with me on, I would say is that Jewish people are the chosen people. I knew that growing up. You know what that made me? It just made me feel like I was five foot eight instead of five foot six. You know, a little taller. You know, didn't know what that meant, right? But we're chosen, so we know we're chosen. So that, these are some things I'm telling you because maybe it'll help you in a conversation with someone. A Jewish person. I mean, this is not to, to improperly stroke someone's ego, but the truth is, Jewish people do have a sense that they're special and chosen in a way. I remember one of the things. My answer to was always my answer to people who who talked to me about Yeshua was always a stiff arm of I'm Jewish. Okay, I'm Jewish. That should be enough for you to get away from it. And so one guy one day was like, that's incredible. That's awesome. He was so excited. And I thought, why? You know, I'm chosen. You're not. And all this kind of stuff. And you're against me. But the point is, understanding that is a very, is a very important thing. That the Jewish people realize they're chosen people. And that they're awaiting the Messiah. Okay? That who will bring total peace to the world. Now, that's going to be one of the arguments that, that Michael Brown talks about. Where is the peace? How do you answer that? Well, we talk about, you know, it's... it's it's coming, you know, it's a two-step process and all that kind of stuff. And, and honestly, you know, we know it, we can support it in Scripture. It takes a lot of support. But in a way, the anti-missionaries, those who would say that's ridiculous, they can caricaturize that. Great, okay, I can do anything in the world too. Just 
later, not right now. You know, that's kind of not really a good answer for them. So they're waiting for that Messiah, waiting for that peace, and they can believe in nearly anything except the eleventh commandment. Do you know the Jews have an eleventh commandment? Thou shalt not believe in Jesus. Right? That's basically these are kind of some of the universal thoughts. We're chosen, the Messiah is coming, and you can believe in just about anything except this. So that's what we're up against. That's what we're up against. Okay. Um, so let me take some time. Over. So that's Jewish exceptionalism. <laughs> a few books for you. I want to go. Uh, I'll show you this. Here's one little short book. If you like one book, this is one. This is not an objection book necessarily. But this is more in the long lines of feeling the weight or understanding. The Jewish people, so to speak. This is a book called "What Do the, What Do Jewish People Think About Jesus?" This is written by Michael Brown as well. I think it was sixty, no, thirty-nine, maybe things. I can't remember how many he's got. No, maybe it was sixty. Sixty. So it's kind of funny. I remember growing up, I'd get questions from my friends, silly questions. Is it true that you guys can't? And they'd ask some ridiculous thing about you know wearing tennis shoes on Thursday or something. And like, no, that's not. Didn't know about that one, but you know. Uh, but he also talks about things for believers as well. You know, should Christians adhere to dietary laws? Um, should Christians un- unconditionally support the nation of Israel? Are Messianic, are Messianic Jewish leaders really rabbis? Ooh, I don't know about that. What are the little boxes on the doorways of Orthodox Jewish homes? I mean, these kind of things. Maybe you know some of them. Maybe you don't. But it's kind of an all-compact in one uh, in one volume. Again, what uh, what do Jewish people think about Jesus? Um, but here's the, here's the thing I want to show you. Actually, before I get into those, I'll do this because that's fine. This is the five-volume set that, that Rabbi Chaim was speaking about. Okay? I'm guessing that's uh, close to 800 pages, probably total, maybe more than that. But you've got volumes one through five of, of answering Jewish objections to Jesus, okay? And each volume deals with kind of a different... A different category. Volume one is general, just general kind of objections. You know, uh, for example, Jews don't believe in Jesus. Huh? Wait a minute. So you see, and in each in each response, Michael gives like a one paragraph quick response, and then he gives like multiple page detailed with references response. So you can read the quick response and get a quick little soundbite kind of response, or you can and then you can go into details as well. So how about it? Jews don't believe in Jesus, do they? Well, here's one, at least. You know, at least one is, right? So, okay. Um, a person is either Jewish or Christian, and I'm Jewish. Okay? If Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, why don't more Jews believe in him? I won't betray my ancestors. I won't forsake the faith of my fathers. Then you've got histor- with this, so that, those are kind of general. Within the general, you've got historical. And this is really important. If Jesus is really the Messiah, why isn't there peace on earth? Okay? He can't be the Messiah because more blood has been spilled in his name than anybody in history. Okay? Why did God allow six million Jews to die in the Holocaust? You better be ready for an answer on that one. You know, that's a, that's a tough one, right? So these are general, general, I'll leave these up where you can look at them, um, general objections. Volume two is, a, is actually, I think, a really good one. I just loaned this, this, this one out to this, this gentleman I was telling you about, that kind of the open guy that I could ask personal questions to. So you realize these are not just for you to hide in a closet like it's secret information that Jews shouldn't have, and you should look at it. You can loan this kind of stuff out. This guy asked me for this book. He asked me for it. He knew about Michael Brown. had watched him. He didn't. I'll tell him if he was here. He's a cheap Jew. He did not want to buy the book. He did. He did actually finally buy it. He said it was twelve dollars on Kindle. I don't want to spend. Let me look at yours, and if I like it, I'll buy it. That's what he told me. So I loaned it to him, and he read it cover to cover. 
And he told me, I'm still not a convert, is what he told me. And I said, I'm glad. I'm glad you're not a convert. And I explained to him why that's kind of a bad, a bad word. Um, so here's a case where you're like, I can't tell him anything better than this book. He read every page and every footnote, looked up every scripture. Sure, he's seeking. So this, may, this is going to be a seed uh, on the way. But this is, these are theological objections, like some, of the, some that uh, Judy talked about last week, like Jews don't believe in a trinity. You worship, a, you worship a trinity, that's three gods, that's idol worship, you know, that kind of stuff, okay? Talks, talks about that. So it's not necessarily detailed messianic prophecy, scripture refutation, and so forth, but it's general theological concepts. You know, the Holy Spirit is not the so-called third person of the trinity. Scripture clearly tells us to do what is right and just, and that's more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Um, the book of Jonah shoots down all your arguments because they repent and there's no blood and God forgave them and so forth. So these are theological objections. Okay. Volume 3, Messianic Prophecy Objections, you know. Isaiah 7, 4, 7 doesn't use the word virgin for virgin, and so therefore, uh, and what does that have to do with, a, with, with what happened in the immediate time versus 500 years later? How could that be a prophecy? That's silly. Plus, his name wasn't even uh, Emmanuel. It was, it was Jesus. It's, a, it's all just messed up. So this, this kind of stuff will, will go into, into questions about specific prophecy issues. Okay, it might be fun for you, but again, you, you may not run into as many people that have those issues. I'll be quite frank with you. Um, can we just send them to you? <laughs> <laughs> if they do, sure. Exactly, yeah. Give them the book. Volume 4. This would be a hard one for you to read. New Testament objections. Matthew says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. He didn't even know the Bible. It doesn't say that. It just says all your heart, all your soul, all your, you know, all your everything. So he didn't, even know the New, he didn't even know the New Testament. It's misquoted. How would you answer that, you know? That kind of stuff. Okay? Um... Unless you know it. It's hard to read, you know. The genealogies of Jesus given in Matthew and Luke are hopelessly contradictory. There are some contradictory. There are some issues there, right? Um, Matthew 27, 9 through 10 is totally confused. Matthew quotes part of a prophecy from Zechariah. Then he says it comes from Jeremiah. Then he takes the whole thing totally out of context. What a mess! Okay? Again, you're probably not going to... My friend Joe would probably know some of this stuff. Not going to get into more, but again... Volume 5 is kind of a catch-all again, traditional Jewish objections, you know. We have an unbroken authoritative chain of oral tradition going back to Moses. Who are you to teach us what our Bible says? <laughs> you know? Judaism, uh, Judaism is a rational, reasonable religion. It says use your mind, not shut off your mind. Where does it ever say we're to believe, you know? I find a place in the Torah where it says you just have to believe. Try finding a place in the Torah where it talks about Messiah. Okay, I had to write you a paper about that one. What's that? You just sold me. I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It doesn't really say it. So that's Michael's five-volume series. What I'd like to show you next, minutes here. Um, and I want to tell you a couple things. Again, I don't know that you're going to get with, with your day-to-day interactions. I don't know what, what Judy experiences online. Probably not much that would be outside of volume one or two. They might, maybe, maybe if they're on J for J chat room, they might be talking about, you know, the word for virgin versus young maiden or something like that. But volume one and two might be uh, something you don't even get get necessarily uh, very far past, quite frankly. Um, because again, religion for a lot of Jewish people, it's about joining the synagogue. It's about your kids, you know, having the kid and grandparent day at the synagogue. It's about 
uh, having the, the bris, all these things at the synagogue and, and so forth. It's, it's, it's very, very different in that sense. Um, but I think one thing that really stuck out to me that a Messianic rabbi said one time, this is after I was a believer, but I think it's actually really important. Just some basic things, like that guy said to me in the parking lot one day about, man, he was so excited I was Jewish. He said, Jesus is Jewish. Don't assume the Jewish person realizes Jesus is Jewish. He said, Jesus is Jewish. My faith is in a Jewish Messiah. In fact, I think believing in Jesus is probably one of the most Jewish things a person could ever do. Because that is the complete opposite of what a Jewish person is thinking. Because believing in Jesus is probably the most Christian thing a person could do, what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. But if you say that with sincerity and believe, I think that's a, I think that's a very powerful statement. Actually, believing in Jesus is one of the, probably one of the most Jewish things, if not the most Jewish thing a person could do. Glenn, did you have something? Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. out that he was an observant Jew. Yeah, but don't be surprised if someone like my friend Joe says, sure, right. Let me, let me show you immediately how he says he's not going to change your jot or tittle of the law, and let me show you immediately how he changes it. And he will. And you'll have to say, hmm. hmm. And I'm not saying he did. The point is, the point is who, who's to say that, that Joe's the authority or that the rabbis or whatever sources he's got the authority. But don't be surprised that some people aren't going to quite see it that way. That Paul created Christianity. Maybe Jesus was a good Jew, Rabbi Shmuley Botel. He was wonderful. In fact, he was one of ours. I wish you Christians would just lay off of him. Paul's the one that's, that's you know, created Christianity. We want to adopt Jesus back as one of ours. You guys have completely misrepresented him because the New Testament text is completely corrupt, and so on, and so on, and so on. These are things you probably haven't studied much, which is why I want to show you one other book uh, that you probably would be, maybe be surprised that I think is just a wonderful book for you to read. 26 Reasons Why Jews Don't Believe in Jesus, written by an Orthodox Jew, an attorney. Okay, this is what's called a, a book by an anti-missionary. This book's written by a gentleman named Asher Norman. And it's a very popular book. Very popular book, okay. Um, provides Jews, Jews with the information necessary to review Christian missionaries. Contains compelling reasons against conversion and intermarriage. And so on and so on. Well, again, I think this is important to read this book to understand and to feel the weight. Uh, I had to critique this book. As, as you know, Dr. Michael Brown had us read this book. Well, why am I reading this book? You know, <laughs> the truth is, we do want to study the the, the true article. You know, when, when like Heim uh, says before, you know, the, the counterfeit people who spot counterfeit, they don't spend time studying the counterfeit; they spend time studying the real, real thing. But the, but this book actually was extremely extremely helpful to me. Um, because it, it caused me to say, you know, what, what, are the, what are the flaws? If there are flaws in, in, in his thinking or in his reasoning, and if there aren't flaws in his reasoning, how do I deal with that? Do I have all the answers? You know, this adds a bit of humility to, to, what, we, to what we do. Um, anti-missionary, but I want you to realize, at the core of, of any, anything like any kind of material like this, at the core of any what's called anti-missionaries, you know, we have Jews for Jesus, there's Jews for Judaism also. Did you know that? There's a group called Jews for Judaism, okay? You can't blame them, right? Um, 
But at the core of, of that, and I believe at the core of, 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 of uh, Asher's book, it's designed, among other things, to, um, to reinforce that, that 11th commandment, that you can believe in anything but Jesus, and to jealously guard against that at all costs, just about. Okay? Um, there's a lot of guilt. <laughs> Don't underestimate Jewish guilt. There's a lot of guilt this guy does, you know? You believe in Jesus... You've forsaken everything, and in fact, you have, you have negated your opportunity to have, have a share in the world to come. You know why? Because you now are an idolater. You have, you know, Jesus is God, right? you got Jesus, God, and, and the Holy Spirit, three gods. You're worshiping something other than God. You're an idolater, and you are guilty of what's called kores, which is you are forsaking your share in the world to come. That's at the core uh, of this book, okay? Um, separation from, from God in this world and in the world to come. And again, it renders all of your ancestors' dreams, all of the things that they suffered to get to this country. You know, That's kind of what the arguments come down to. So again, those are important things to realize in terms of feeling. And those are not things that I think were articulated to me necessarily, but there's certainly things that are, that are there. They're in the background for sure. Um, the idea that, like, that, that Mary said, um, this, is, this is a claim that Asher Nolan makes, which goes along with what Mary said, that Christians have contributed over $1 billion over the past decade for the aggressive evangelization of Jews. Now, there's no... I was hoping he would reference where he got this figure from or something, which he didn't. Um, TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, I realized that that statement only served to reinforce a common misunderstanding in, in contemporary Judaism that says that there's any... Any attempt to reach a person for the Messiah's crisis is, it a, is it a, an effort to attack them um, and render them no longer Jewish. That's why I say something like, you know, hey, believing in Jesus, I think is probably one of the most Jewish things a person could do. Because the actual opposite of that, and the actual opposite of an aim of an anti-missionary, which is, is, is a person that's trying to get a Jew to come back to Judaism, mm-hmm. is to say, look, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite. You're, you're, you're going to no longer be Jewish. So that, that's a huge part of it. It doesn't matter Messianic prophecy. It doesn't matter, you know, theology or anything like that. Because there's some crazy stuff out there in, in Judaism as well. Yeah. Um, but it, a lot of it is at its core to, uh, to uh, provoke someone to be guilty and, to, and, and that kind of thing. Did you have something? Well, yeah, I mean, you were, I, we were talking about kind of just how intense this can be. I, I, my good friend issues behind the issues. And again, I could, I mean, we could, I could have spent time going through volume two tonight and looking at some of these, and we can talk about those. But the reality is a lot of, a lot of it, it goes back to a lot of the things Judy said last week that don't underestimate prayer, don't underestimate God is doing the actual changing of hearts, don't underestimate <laughs> where in the process of somebody coming to know the Lord that, you're, that you're, you're, um, your role or your interaction with them might be. It might be at a stage where you can ask a, an in-depth question, like Debbie said, and find out what, what's really on someone's heart. Um, you might be at the first stage, which is very uncomfortable, which I've been at with, with relatives of not interested in talking to you about that, you know, <laughs> just like that, yeah. you know. And so you might, we don't know what, what stage you're going to be at with something. Um, the idea of, 
and don't 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 overlook and don't just gloss over some of the things you take for granted. The idea of atonement well, makes sense to us, you know. Someone dies in your place. I mean, that can be highly a highly odd thing, a very off-putting thing to a, a religious Jew, let alone just a regular person, a good humanist, good you know kind of person. Um, the idea of an atonement is a very off-putting thing. Isn't there some other way? There's got to be some other way, right? Let's not assume that it's just so easy for us to accept the fact that, yeah, God came to earth as a, as a human being, and uh, he died, he rose again, and, that, and, and we, just, we, we accept that like nothing. Um, that's a very off-putting thing to do. Josh McDowell actually talks about that uh, in one of his books. you know who Josh McDowell is? Does anyone not know who Josh McDowell is? Oh, how could you not? You're like, you're like 80 years old. You should know that by now. Um, he's a, uh, an apologist from like the 70s. He wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. sure, sure. And, uh, <laughs> and a book called uh, More Than a Carpenter, a very small book, kind of a, a small apologetic book. But he gave an example um, that I, I'll just read to you. Not that it's super relevant, but I think it's a good one. Um, and then there was a question, I think, because Sue had something to say. And maybe we'll close up and I can stick around for some questions if you like. Um, basically, he tells the story. He talks about the idea of atonement. Now, that's a very off-putting idea. And it's not very, a very comfortable idea. Um, I interviewed a Jewish person for um, a, a class in seminary. And, oh boy, if I showed you her answers, it's unbelievable. The inconsistency, the wanting to be good, the wanting to hold on to something true, but not wanting to... You know, believe there was such thing as, as good and evil, yet we believe the results of them, some things are evil based on my subjective viewpoint, all kinds of stuff like this. Shouldn't, can't there be some other way other than atonement? Because our message is pretty, we know it lines up with the Hebrew Bible. We know that the, the death of the righteous atones. Uh, Joanne Tischler talked about that the other week. Michael Brown goes over it in some of these volumes. It's a very Jewish idea, the death of the high priest. Uh, all of these cases, actually, that, that Norman Asher gives of atonement without blood. The truth is there's plenty of blood. I mentioned last week, you know, David and Bathsheba. We said, well, David just repented in front of Nathan, and so he said, oh, you're forgiven. There was no blood. Uh, fast forward, next chapter, his son is killed, specifically for this reason of the adultery. Now, so we, we get into mixing words, whether, whether atonement requires blood or whether it's there or what have you. But anyways, he said, um, he talked about God being a righteous judge, and he gave the example of a, of a young girl who got a speeding ticket, and she's standing in front of the judge, and the judge brings the gavel down, says guilty, $100, fine, takes off his robe, goes down and pays the fine because it's, his, it's her, her father. You know? mm-hmm. The point is he was a righteous judge. And the, the, the picture is very much that you know, this is not some crazy idea. It's not necessarily easy for us to accept this idea of atonement. Um, but if any, any Jewish person went to Hebrew school, they were probably sleeping if they didn't hear anything about blood uh, or anything like that. So <laughs> I'm sorry I spoke fast, but we only have two minutes left. Sue, you had something you wanted to say? Because, you know, maybe some of you are here are like me. You're someone's little brother, you know, or you're someone's son. And it's kind of hard to accept what they say sometimes. So, are you someone's little sister? Is that why you're smiling? No? 
<laughs> your, your brothers and sisters aren't going to listen to you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah, I mean, again, there are certainly a lot of things that fall under the general umbrella of sharing the faith and of apologetics. And again, nothing beyond, you know, nothing sort of beats your personal witness and so forth. You can't sort of the trump card in one sense. Um, but yeah, there's some things that just sort of fall under the general umbrella. I mean, you, know, you could read some of the things in here and you think, hey, that's not just for a Jewish person. I'm wondering about that one myself, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know how I came about, about volume one, but I ended up reading yeah. it. Uh, yeah. It was really hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. There are specific. I mean, again, there's probably other. There's other people groups. I mean, like, for instance, the the Hindus. You know, I know a little bit about um, Hindus, and you know, for them, it's going to be something different because, well, they'll accept anything. They believe in anything. So the idea of the exclusivity is a real big problem. You know, monotheism is the problem there. But there are some very specific things for a Jewish person. That's why we exist, and I think that's you know. That's why it's a big part of God's heart, a big part of the Bible. He's never picked out another people before. So there are some very specific things that if you didn't, like you said, you didn't know your friend was Jewish, let alone, I mean, my friends knew I was Jewish. I wasn't allowed in some people's houses. I mean, they knew I was Jewish. And so you grow up with some of that stuff. Yeah. So there are some specific things that are definitely important for, uh, for Jewish people, but they're not going to be evident everywhere. Some people, like we talk about Yeshua, execution stake, and all these kind of things. You want to make sure you use the right terms. This guy that I was talking to, you know, that borrowed my volume too. He, he he's like, who's Yeshua? He, he said, what's wrong with Jesus? I'm not offending you by saying Jesus' name. He's asking me, you know. Uh, and you know, he's using the word convert, this kind of stuff. So you know, there's a little bit of that that's changed. That that was a, a very big deal, I think, in, in like you know, 35, 40 years ago. Um, but it's less it's less important now. But there are real issues that that Jewish people deal with that not the general populace does not. So let's let me let Rabbi Chaim. Close this down, and I'll stick around. You can take a look at some of these books, and I'll be around for a little while here. Thank you, Rabbi David. That was wonderful. A couple things. Um, if you have not signed up uh, to participate at the People's Fair, uh, by all means, do that. Mob this lady right here. Judy, raise your hand. Uh, she, she will have the uh, sign-up sheet both for people manning the tables, and we will also have sign-up sheet for people who are going to be interceding during that time. So we need we need both types. Uh, the other thing I, I just wanted to uh, encourage you as you were listening to this, perhaps at some point you're going, ah! Uh, at least I would. Huh? Yeah, okay. Uh, because frankly, some of this is, is overwhelming. And you feel like, uh, you know, I, I need to have 
Spock kind of brain in order to read, process, digest all of it, have it ready, uh, you know, on fingertips. And so part of it, a major part of it, is a faith issue. Um, is God in it? Yes. Is the Spirit of God able to, to lead me and show me? Yes. Uh, will God have answers that come up when, when I'm reading this kind of stuff and saying, well, maybe Norman Asher is right and maybe I'm all wet and so on and so forth. So th there's, there might be some shaking and uh, pruning going on and if you're trusting God is engaged in the process, you'll say, Lord, come on. I want it. Um, and, and you'll be able to trust what God is doing in the process, not just for the folks who need to hear, but first of all in you, because remember what Yeshua said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? Which means that what God does in you overflows and impacts other people. And so if you're afraid of God going deep in you, guess what? There's not going to be a whole lot that will overflow. So Michael is going to be addressing some of those issues next Wednesday. Please come and uh, be prepared. And let's finish. Uh, Mr. James, you look like you want to finish for us. Would you, sir? Thank you, Lord. Please thank you for who you are.